your Bibles and uh, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Most of you know that uh, Tuesdays are the days that I take off uh, each week because I work Sundays. And uh, for 30 of those Tuesdays each year, I get to uh, spend several hours tutoring a group of, uh, this year, 12 young men and young women uh, that I love spending time with. And this year, one of the subjects that uh, uh, we've been studying together uh, in that context is the subject of economics and a Christian view of economics. And one of the points that has come up in our study of that subject is just how often otherwise godly people can become deceptive and dishonest and selfish when it comes to money, when it comes to business. In the name of getting a deal, even Christians are sometimes willing to rip someone else off. The golden rule which Christ taught us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us is a rule that often seems to go out the window for believers, at least in our culture, when the issue comes down to one of money. So I think this is a needed sermon tonight. I know it is for my life as we tackle this subject of greed, of avarice. Now we're continuing our series of sermons about putting Romans 8.13 into practice. Let me just remind you, Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the stakes are high. If you don't put to death sin in your life, you prove yourself not to be one of Christ's people. Christians are people who kill sin. And how do they do this? By the Spirit. And we've seen that this means that we kill sin by a Spirit-given faith in Christ's promises, by prayer-expressed dependence upon Christ, and by making use of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God as it comes to us in various forms. And so tonight we're going to say, all right, what does that mean when we're looking at, when we're dealing with this sin of avarice, of greed? We want to abolish avarice from our lives. And so look with me at 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 9. I want you to hear the strong words of the Spirit-inspired Apostle Paul concerning this sin of greed. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now tonight we're going to follow a very similar outline to this morning. Uh, First, we'll look at greed defined. Second, greed described. Third, how Christ makes all the difference. 
And then fourth, how we can join with the Spirit in killing greed in our lives. So first, greed defined. Notice in 1 Timothy 6 that Paul is describing those who desire to be rich. He also describes the love of money. And so those sound like good definitions for greed. Greed is the desire to be rich. Greed is the love of money. However, we have to add a caveat to that. Because you see, when we look at the Bible as a whole, uh, we see that there is nothing inherently evil about being rich, nothing inherently evil about money itself, In fact, many of the most influential converts to Christianity in the early church were people of great wealth. During the Middle Ages, this idea evolved in Roman Catholicism that there's something inherently evil about possessing money. When Martin Luther became a Roman Catholic monk before his conversion to Christ, To become a part of that order, he took a vow of poverty. And that's because poverty was seen by many at that time to be a virtue. Having wealth was seen to be a vice. However, after Luther's conversion to Christ, he and the other reformers went back to the Bible. And they saw that it is not wealth itself which is evil. In fact, their position, in the words of Calvin, was that money in itself is is good and this was the view of the puritans as well Uh, puritan samuel willard says this riches are consistent with godliness and the more a man has the more advantage he has to do good with it if god give him a heart to do it the puritans often taught on the good and the proper use of money Uh, for example here are the words of william perkins We must so use and possess the goods we have that the possession of them may tend to God's glory and the salvation of our souls. Our riches must be employed to necessary uses. These are first, the maintenance of our own good estate and condition. Second, the good of others, especially those who are of our family or kindred. Thirdly, the relief of the poor. Fourth, the maintenance of the church of God and true religion. And fifth, the maintenance of the commonwealth. And so it's worth pointing out that when the Bible speaks of a person receiving wealth, the language the Bible uses is the language of blessing. God's prospering Jacob, as he was working for his uncle, was seen as a blessing, not a curse. Joseph's coming into great wealth in the kingdom of Egypt was seen as a blessing, not as a curse. Moses promised Israel that if they obeyed God, they would become prosperous in the promised land. Throughout the Bible, wealth is presented to us as a blessing, as something even to pursue. So we cannot define greed simply as the desire to be rich or the love of money because a person can desire to be rich in order to serve the kingdom of Christ in order to better bless others and support missions and care for orphans and widows. A person can also love money as a gift from God to be used for his glory as a tool 
in its proper use. So it seems to me that a definition of greed that rightly takes these things into account would be one that says this. Greed is the inordinate desire to be rich. Or greed is the inordinate love of money. Inordinate is just a way of saying out of order, improper, unholy. Uh, Greed is when a person's desire to be rich or when a person's love of money is not for God's sake but for self's sake. Uh, Greed is also when a person's desire to be rich, even for God's sake, grows out of proper proportion so that the person is no longer content in Christ. The word inordinate is meant to capture this. Greed is the inordinate love of money. And because the Bible is just as concerned with possessions as it is with money proper, we can say that greed is the inordinate love of money and or possessions. One last thing to note about that definition. You don't have to have much money and you don't have to have many possessions to be greedy. It isn't having money or possessions that constitutes greed. It is the inordinate love of or the inordinate desire for money and possessions that constitutes greed. So now we know what we're talking about. That's, that's the sin defined. Now let's move to our second heading, greed described. And remember, I'm seeking to bring together all that the Bible teaches on the subject to bring it before us. Uh, greed is a vile thing. Uh, in, in our society, and especially among conservatives who show great allegiance to capitalism, We have to be crystal clear about this. Greed is vile. Uh, Back in 1986, Ivan Boesky, maybe how you pronounce that, uh, he would later go to prison for his role in insider trading, but he gave this famous address before the University of California, Berkeley School of Business Administration. And one of the things he said in that 1986 speech was this. He said to those students, Greed is all right, by the way. I want you to know that. I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself. And this remark gave birth to a slogan that you'll hear from time to time, especially in conservative circles. Greed is good. And the idea behind that slogan is that a capitalistic society like our own requires that people desire to make money in order for it to work. The competition must exist among businesses. There must be a passion for making income, a willingness to pursue new ventures and to invest in new technologies in order to see income increase. Many would say that if you look back at the United States and the superpower that it is, and you ask, how did we get here, that it would be our commitment to a greed-fueled capitalism. That is the answer for America's prosperity. Well, church as Christians, we cannot be in favor of a greed-fueled anything. Greed is evil in all of its forms. And I would suggest that when you look back at the history of the United States, you find that for many who worked hard and moved the U.S. economy along, it was not greed that fueled them. Uh, In 1905, Max Weber published his famous book, The Protestant Ethic. Uh, 
and the spirit of capitalism. Have you ever heard people refer to the Protestant work ethic? Uh, Weber attempted to look at the U.S. in the 1700s and the 1800s and to answer the question, what made America so economically prosperous? And he argued that what gave rise to the flourishing middle class in our nation was the influence of Protestant beliefs and ideals. Uh, Weber noticed how these Christians believed that even though they were working in secular vocations, nevertheless, they believed they were serving God in their jobs. And he pointed out that these folks tended to live simple, disciplined, and frugal lives. Uh, He emphasized how they truly respected the idea of the individual, unlike Marxism, and that that was mainly because they believed that each individual has a human soul. These Christians believed in working hard. They believed in keeping a clean conscience when it came to their use of money. And so he argued, and and I would argue as well, that it was this, biblical principles put into practice that in large part made the U.S. strong. And that it is the loss of biblical principles about money and right living that will make this country weak. Greed is evil. Working hard for what you need to care for your family and to support others is good. Sadly, we have lost the discipline and the simplicity and the frugality of the Christians from two and three centuries ago. Even those who lived during the time of the Great Depression could teach us a thing or two. Today, Christians buy ridiculously huge houses and pricey vehicles and pay exorbitant amounts on television and vacations and toys. And we call it taking care of our family. And so we need to be very careful to examine ourselves in this matter. In a world where people are starving, in a world where billions do not have access to a healthy church, in a world where people in our own city are homeless or suffering, Where is the line between caring for our own, as we ought to do, and greed? Now, one reason that greed is so vile is that it does lead to so many other sins. And that's Paul's first point in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. So look there again, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Those who desire to be rich, what? Fall into temptation, into a snare. Into, into one snare? No. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You see, the idea here is that greed will trap you. How? By entangling you in harmful desires. Desires that are senseless. That is, if you were thinking rightly, you would see these desires as foolish and wicked But greed has a way of making us lose our senses. The prodigal son wanted his inheritance right away, even while his father was still alive. He couldn't wait to take that wealth and to enjoy it. He did, and he wasted it all away. As the Proverbs warn, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. We're told that while he was there with the pigs... He came to his senses. And that's the language that Jesus used. That greed, right, and exorbitant living had cast a spell over this man. This man had not been thinking rightly. But once the money was all gone, 
and he was in a very low place suddenly the spell was broken and the man came to his senses so you see greed will ensnare you in a harmful wicked desire or desires that will plunge you into destruction in this life that means that the inordinate love of money can inspire you to do things that will harm your family even put you in jail or cost you your life more importantly the inordinate love of money can lead you away from Christ and condemn your soul that's verse 10 do you see it verse 10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs there is such a thing as wandering away from the faith and proving yourself not to be one of God's children and the love of money has done this to many a professing Christian in the history of the world what does Paul mean when he says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils what other evils might greed lead us into well, since we talked about pride this morning, I should point out that there is a deep connection between pride and greed. Pride is the root of greed, just as pride is the root of all sins. Pride is self-serving. Pride is self-seeking. And if I believe that I deserve better than what I have, it's going to fuel greed in my heart. But greed is also fuel for pride. For example, listen to one translation of 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those words, pride in possessions, remind us that not only does pride lead to greed, but greed leads to more pride. So that suddenly we look at what we've gained, we look at what we've earned, and we can't help like Nebuchadnezzar this morning, but take pride in ourselves. We fail to give God honor. We fail to thank Him for our health and our will and our ability to gain what we have. All we can see is what we've done. Pride fuels greed, and greed fuels pride, and together they will cause your life to descend down a dark staircase into worse and worse forms of immorality until people get hurt and you end up condemned another reason that greed is so vile and why you should want it out of your life is that it hinders your prayer life James 4 verse 3 says you ask and you do not receive why because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions God draws near to the humble and when we pray that he would give us something in order to better serve him and to serve others, unless it would hinder his glory and our good, he gives it. But when we go to God with requests that are motivated by greed, when we go to God with requests that are motivated by a, a love for self and a desire to use his gifts on ourselves, we have no right to think that he will answer. He will be opposed to our prayers. Indeed, if God did give us what we want, when we're asking for greedy things, he would not be a good father. Uh, we saw in verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money can cause us to wander from the faith. Psalm 10 verse 3 puts it strongly as well. 
It says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In other words, here is where greed will take you if you let it dominate your life. It will one day bring you to a place where you will actually curse and renounce the Lord in order to have more advantages in this world, in this life. You will be so caught up in the desires of this world, so caught up in what you can gain right here, right now, that being a Christian will suddenly seem like an obstacle to you. That trying to follow God's commands will seem like a a big stumbling block, a roadblock in your way of trying to get the money and the possessions and the things that you want. And you will suddenly find yourself cursing God and cursing God's commandments. They keep annoying you. They keep interfering with your mission to have more. This is why in Dante's famous work on purgatory, when he pictures the people who were greedy in this life, He pictures them bound and lying face down on the ground. It was because they were so much concerned with the stuff of this world in their lives. And they were not a people who ever looked up to God, to the things of God. Dante's point is that the spirit of greed is the opposite of that which we are commanded to have, which is to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then the things you need, they'll be added to you. Greed is also vile because it deceives the sinner. You see, greed is a hunger that is never satisfied. Solomon, who knew a lot about having great wealth, said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Solomon said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You see, it will never be enough. Greed never gives way to contentment. A greedy heart never suddenly finds itself satisfied and says, I have enough, now I can be happy. No, greed always wants more and wants more and wants more. And unless greed is weakened and almost destroyed in our hearts, it will cause us to hurt others and to turn from Christ in the pursuit of more. And this is really what's at the center of what makes greed so vile. Greed is a lack of contentment in God. Greed is a failure to trust that God is taking care of me. Greed is a failure of faith, a failure to trust in God's love, a failure to believe what God has told us about ourselves. God has told us as Christians that everything is ours. That we're going to reign in a new heavens and a new earth. That nothing in this world can be taken with us when we die. But we are heading to a glorious kingdom. And there, more than anything else, we're going to have fellowship with God Himself. And God is better than riches. Knowing Jesus is higher than any delight that can be found in any possession. Greed is to turn from finding one's satisfaction and peace and contentment in Christ and instead trying to find those things in the world and what the world can offer. Greed is a rejection of he who is worthy of all your love, a rejection of he who loves you more than you can ever imagine. Greed is the rejection of God in order to embrace the world. It is a rejection of the holy, righteous, all-wise, all-glorious God in order to have trifles. 
and to treasure trifles more than God. What is more evil than that? And so that's the vileness of greed. That's greed described. How does Christ make all the difference? I'm going to repeat these same five points in all seven sermons. I hope that you'll be able to present them to me by the sixth or seventh sermon. I'm repeating them on purpose. They're important. How does Christ make all the difference? Number one, Christ set the example for us. He was our example of generosity, right? Leaving heaven, becoming a man, going to the cross, laying his life down for us. Number two, Christ on the cross took the punishment that sinners deserve. Your sins of greed, my sins of greed, were nailed to Christ's cross. And the hell that we deserve because of our sins of greed were born, it was born by Christ on the cross if we believe on Him. Number three, Christ has promised us a day when we will be perfectly holy. There is coming a day when you will never have to battle greed in your life again. A day when you will be pure through and through. Number four, Christ by the Spirit is making us holy right now. Which means that if we are Christians, the Spirit is at work in you and in me right now, cultivating generosity, killing greed. You're not fighting greed alone. The Spirit is with you in the fight to give you victory. And then number five, Christ by His Spirit, through His Word, is causing us to know His love for us so that we're not fighting this sin of greed out of a desperate attempt to make things right with God. No, we fight greed in our souls with the calm assurance that we are Christ and He is ours, that we are loved. And in the security of Christ's love, we find what we need to fight greed. And so I say tonight, as I said this morning, if there is an unbeliever in this room, What you need to do to fight greed and any other sin in your life is to first and foremost come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no hope of being saved from the guilt of your greed and the punishment you deserve, nor of being saved from the power of greed in your life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Your only hope is Jesus, and He is full of grace and He is full of mercy for those who come to Him, who turn to Him, and desire to be saved. So submit yourself to Christ, and you will find that all of your sins of greed and every other sin will be forgiven, that heaven will be your home, that victory over greed will be promised to you, and that the Spirit will be at work in your life, even from this moment, to rid your life of greed. Okay, so the fourth heading. How then do we as Christians walk with the Spirit in killing greed. We know the Spirit uses the Word. Saw that, Romans 8, 13. We know that the Spirit is working in us so that we will do and will according to the purposes of God. And so we know that if we're walking with the Spirit, we're going to be looking to the Word to find tactics to to fight against greed. And we're not just going to be hearers of the word. We're going to go out and we're going to be doers. They're going to be actual practical things that we are doing to kill greed and every other sin in our lives. 
So very briefly, let me mention just four military tactics that the Spirit gives us in the Bible to fight against this sin called greed. Number one, there is the tactic of hope. Of hope. Listen to Proverbs 28, verse 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. The first half of the proverb is negative. Greedy people stir up strife. Greed in a person's heart will lead to conflict in his or her relationships. John 12 tells us that Judas had greed in his heart. And what did he do? He tried to stir up a controversy, strife, right there in the midst of that scene of Mary pouring out that expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. It was a beautiful moment, a moment of worship for everybody in the room except for Judas, whose heart was full of greed, and he wanted to create controversy over it. Greed gives birth to strife. But the second half of Proverbs 28-25 is very positive. It says that the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Solomon lays this down as a principle and we see it confirmed again and again in the New Testament. Those who trust in God are richly blessed by Him and will be richly blessed by Him. It might mean that those who trust God in this life will see earthly wealth come their way. Certainly those who are putting into practice God's principles of hard work and honesty and pursuing skillfulness shouldn't be surprised if they find that God blesses those works in an earthly way. But the verse isn't guaranteeing earthly wealth. It's just making the larger point that those who trust in Christ will be enriched. And church, there are kinds of wealth that are far greater than money and possessions. It is better to be poor and satisfied in Christ rather than to be wealthy and ill-content. As we've noted before, in the end, all God's people are going to reign with Christ in a new heavens and a new earth. In the end, all who trust Christ will be enriched. So dear church, see the power of hope. Hope is the eager expectation of what has been promised to us. And when we are eagerly awaiting the day, when we will walk the streets of God, we are not going to be worrying too much about gaining the trifles of this world. When we are on our way to be crowned, we don't have to fret because we're not traveling in luxury. Believe what God has told you about your future. Set your hope on what God has told you about what's ahead for you and then be content with what you have right now. You're a pilgrim right now. You're not supposed to be at home here. If your money and possessions are giving you a comfortable living on earth, that might mean something's wrong. You're not supposed to be comfortable here. You're supposed to have a heart that's longing for the homeland. So fight greed with the tactic of hope. Second, fight greed with the tactic of faith in Christ's provision. Faith in Christ's provision. You see, our Savior is a good shepherd. And He is not going to let you go without anything that you need. He has your eternal welfare in His sight. 
And his affection and his attention is upon you. He is with you and he is with you to care for you. You will not go without. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see how the presence of Jesus is given as a reason not to be greedy? The sheep doesn't have to worry when the shepherd is right there caring for it. The the little child doesn't have to worry when mom and dad are right there beside him, beside her, to care for them. Our shepherd is with us. If you go without anything, it's because Jesus has deemed it best for his glory and your good for you to go without. It's best for you to go without if you're going without. Otherwise, he's going to provide for you. Do you trust your shepherd? And if you trust your shepherd, don't fret about what you don't have. He's going to take care of you. So fight greed with the tactic of faith in Christ's provision. Number three, fight greed with the tactic of joy. With joy. Fight greed by finding more joy in Christ and His person and His work and His promises and all that He is for you than you could ever find in the stuff of this world. Indeed, it would be worth giving up everything in this world to have Christ. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Christians ought to be loose with their money and with their possessions. Why? Because we have joy, joy in Christ. We are eagerly willing to be a part of what He is doing in this world. For His sake, for the kingdom, because of the joy we have in Him. We're not worried about collecting stuff. We're worried about investing stuff in the kingdom and storing up our treasures in heaven. Remember the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. Remember how even in their poverty, they just kept giving and giving to their brothers and sisters who were suffering in Jerusalem. Paul told them to stop, and they kept trying to give more. They gave out of hope. They gave out of faith. But our passage in 2 Corinthians says they gave out of joy. Paul says that, he, that they begged him earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These were impoverished people themselves. But he says out of their own poverty and out of their own joy, they kept begging him, let us give you a little more. Why? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, the Macedonians were so sure of their riches in Christ. They were so firmly rooted in what the Bible said about who they were and what was ahead for them, so filled with joy in what their Savior had promised them that they were willing to give eagerly. Paul says in verse 2 that it, it was out of their abundance of joy that they overflowed with generosity. And then Paul used the Macedonians as an example to teach the Corinthians. And what was he teaching the Corinthians? That God loves a cheerful giver. 
It's not just that we're fast and loose with our money, giving it to those in need. No, it's, it's that we're able to do this in joy. You see, the cheerful giver brings more glory to God because the cheerful giver shows that the stuff of this earth just doesn't compare with what we have in Christ. So fight greed with that tactic of joy. And then fourth and finally, fight greed. You're going to notice this in every message. With the tactic of generosity. That is, do the opposite of the sin, right? The best defense is a good offense. The best cure for a greedy heart is to be intentionally generous. Cultivate generosity in your life and you will root out greed. Start intentionally seeking to see the needs of the people around you. Seek to intentionally be quick to extend support to the poor to the missionary causes of God, to the the work of the kingdom that God brings across your path. How do you grow in generosity? By dwelling in the generosity of God towards you. By meditating on and rejoicing in all that Christ has done and is doing and pouring out a gazillion blessings upon your head. By remembering the cross, by remembering the awesome sacrifice that was made there for you. Consider the generosity of that moment at the cross and how in one act of generosity Jesus purchased for you a million, million, million years of blessing that will never end. You as a Christian are incredibly blessed. Far more blessed than you know or realize. Far more blessed than I know or realize. Live in this reality. Don't just talk about generosity. Make it happen. Be committed not only to your, your giving here at the church, but look for what God is providentially doing in your life to open your eyes to the needs of others. Right? Kill greed in your heart. How? By intentionally being generous with what you have. So how do we walk with the Spirit in fighting this sin of greed in our souls? Well, we use the sword, the Word. And what does the Word teach us? What are we to put into action from the word? The tactic of hope? The tactic of faith in Christ's provision? The tactic of joy? And the tactic of generosity? So may God help us to do this for his glory and for the salvation of souls. Let's pray.